right, we're glad to see you here this morning, and um, I'm glad you're with us here in, in church. I make sure I was turned on here. And um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Philippians chapter number 3. I'm sitting there, and I, and I am not a, I am generally not a joke teller either. Uh, it's just not, uh, not something I don't do very good at it, but um, I did think of a joke, and I, I thought, well, I'll give a joke here. I, I don't ever do that, but I'll do that this morning. It's okay. To, you know, it is, it is okay to laugh in church. That's okay. Uh, and it's okay to enjoy yourself in church. Um, now, there's times that are serious in the preaching of the Word. We know that. Uh, but it's okay to have a little bit of fun and enjoy yourself in church as well. So um, in prison... Uh, we would tell this joke on the mission field a lot because it, there was a, a small pool of people to tell jokes to because actually, this is interesting. Here's a little uh, a reference point. It's not part of the joke, but uh, jokes don't translate very well. Uh, matter of fact, a sense of humor is really cultural uh, and, and, and it depends on the culture that you're at. So jokes don't translate very well and they don't carry over from one language to another language very well. Uh, and so amongst us missionaries, we would tell, this is the joke we would tell, and so there was a, a bunch of guys that were in prison, and, uh, and they were all sitting there at lunchtime. And, uh, and during the lunchtime, uh, one would call out a number. He'd say, 22. And man, they, the place would just crack up laughing. And, uh, and, and another guy would call out a number, uh, 58. And man, they would laugh some more. And, uh, and this one guy, he was new in, in the prison there, and, and, he, and he sat next to this guy. He said, what, what is going on? He said, oh, he said, here's what's happening. He said, we've been in here so long. He said that we have all the jokes numbered. He said, we don't even tell them anymore. We just number them. And, uh, and so uh, he said, really? He said, oh, yeah. He said, he said, watch this, 17. And, man, they just cracked up laughing. He said, he said you, you go ahead and you give it a try. You, you, uh, you, you shout out a number. And he said, okay. He said, all the jokes are numbered. You just got to pick a number. He said, all right. He said, uh, he said, 50. Nobody laughed. He said, well, man, what's going on? He said, well, I, I don't know. He said, why, why don't you try another one? So the guy tried again. He said, well, how about, he said, 28. Nothing. Nobody laughed. The guy sat next to him. He, he said, man, he said, he said, or the guy who said it, he said, he said well, what's, what's going on and what's wrong? And the guy sat next to him and said, well, I don't. I don't know, I guess some guys can tell them and some guys can't. <laughs> so I don't tell jokes because usually I can't tell them very good. And, but uh, that was a good joke this morning. I, don't, I never heard the cat scan one, and so I, I enjoyed that. I got, a, I got a whopping five jokes that I keep, and, and so I could just really number them and tell you one, two, three, or four, or five, because that's about all I know. But, uh, but I do enjoy jokes. Uh, Philippians chapter number 3, as we look here this morning, that had absolutely nothing to do with the message whatsoever. Uh, but uh, I want to look at this morning the foundation uh, of our faith. Foundation of our faith. And as we look at that, uh, it's important and interesting to uh, really understand the foundation of our faith. You know, salvation gives us the most wonderful relationship of life. There's no greater relationship than that you can have than that that you have with Jesus Christ himself. Uh, if we realize that, man, what a tremendous opportunity that we have 
as people, as mortals, as human beings, to have a relationship with the immortal, all-powerful, omniscient God of the universe. Man, there's nobody better you could ask uh, to have a, as your friend, as your uh, companion in this life. And at the moment of salvation, your life changes completely. It can never be taken away. Salvation means we are declared righteous before God. In Philippians chapter number 3 and verse number 9, we're just going to read a few verses and we're going to look at a foundation of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter number 3 and verse number 9, the Bible says this, And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, neither were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And let's stop there and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, Father, for the salvation so rich and so free and so, uh, so, uh, so graciously bestowed upon us. God, I pray that you would just uh, bless this, this uh, lesson this morning. Father, as we look at the foundation uh, of our relationship with you, God, I pray that you would just Use me. I pray that you'd help me to speak the words that you'd have me to speak. And God, I pray that you would touch hearts and may we be challenged uh, to, to um, ensure that our foundation, Father, is solid. And we'll thank you for that. God, I pray that you'd uh, bless all that, that are listening and attentive this morning. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at this idea of the foundation, uh, the foundation of our spiritual life obviously is Jesus Christ. The Bible says there in verse number 9, Paul is writing and he says this, And be found in him not having mine own righteousness. Now Paul has just gotten through uh, explaining his righteousness. Uh, and he goes on about being a, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he knows what tribe he's from and, and, he, and he's talks about all his righteousness that he has in his life. Uh, but he says, listen, my righteousness is not found in myself. That's what he says in verse number 9. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. May we be reminded that our righteousness does not come from our own actions. There is not a person on the face of this earth that can earn their righteousness. Now, there's a lot of good people in the world. There really are. There are good people. There are moral people. Now, I think a lot of our moral decay is taking place, but that doesn't mean that there are no moral people left on the earth. 
There are moral people here on the earth. But you can be as moral as you want to be, but you cannot be righteous and perfect in the eyes of God. The Bible's very clear about that. Paul was a very moral person. Paul was a, 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 somebody who adhered to the Old Testament law. Most moral people today uh, would not even consider the Old Testament law, much less abide by it. Uh, and that's God's word. And, and Paul had adhered to the Old Testament law to the best of his ability. And, and, and he says, listen, my righteousness is not found in myself. And the foundation of our spiritual life is with Christ. We are declared righteous not by our works, but based on Jesus Christ's finished work on Calvary. That's what it says here in verse number 9. He says, And be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And so I think that's abundantly clear in that verse that, listen, our righteousness comes from our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The day that I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as my own personal Savior, the day that I asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins and to save me was the day that he said, listen, uh, you have no righteousness of your own, but I will give you my righteousness. What I had was a, a bank account indebted with sin to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, listen, I'm going to take all of that sin and I'm going to wipe the slate clean you're going to have a completely clean slate of righteousness from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the idea of this verse is. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, verse number 11, you can just note it down, 1 Corinthians 3, 11, For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And He is the foundation of our faith. He is the foundation of our salvation. And He, everything that we believe about Jesus Christ, um, the fact that He was born of a virgin, the fact that He lived a sinless life, the fact that He died on the cross of Calvary. Why? And, and, and many people will, uh, they'll agree with you up to that. The question is, then becomes, well, why did Jesus die? And a lot of people become stumped at that. They're like, well, well, to from our sins. They know the answer to the question, but they don't know the why. Jesus was not deserving of death. You understand? He should not have died. He, the Bible says that, that sin brings death. Uh, for the wages of sin is death. Uh, and so Jesus, being sinless, did not deserve to die, should not have died. But he died because he took our place and he took our punishment and he shed his blood for, an, for uh, our sins that you and I could be saved. And then the Bible says he rose again on the third day uh, and, and was victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And so he did that so that you and I could be saved and we could put our faith in Jesus Christ. That is the foundation of our faith. You know, in, in Pisa, Italy is home of the well-known landmark, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Uh, I was actually there. I, it's not something I ever thought I would go to, but, uh, but we were actually in, in the same town visiting other missionaries, and, and, uh, and I had the opportunity to go by there. I mean, if you go to Pisa, you have to go by and see the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Uh, there's just no other way to do it. Uh, but this tower draws tourists from all over the world. And it's actually an embarrassing display of the ramifications of a faulty foundation. Let that sink in for a minute. 
uh, it was a faulty foundation. That's really what it was. Here's a little bit of history about it. Uh, construction of the Tower of Pisa began in, in 1173 A.D. That's a long time ago. It amazes me as I was in Italy that, you know, we wander around America and we're like, wow, that building is 100 years old. We're like, wow, that's impressive, you know, and wow, that building is 200 years old and America's only, you know, 200 years old, or 200 and almost 300 years old. And, and, uh, and we're like, wow, that is amazing. In Italy, things are like thousands of years old. And I'm like, that's old. So this was built in, in 1173 A.D., and it was built on soft soil and was given a foundation that was less than 10 foot deep. Could you imagine that? Uh, only 10 feet of, of foundation. And uh, even before its completion in, uh, in 1372, its infamous tilt was noticeable. Even before they finished it, it had started tilting. The foundation was not strong enough to support such a large structure. Millions of people travel to see this incredible structure every day. Uh, and, and that's true, man. They go by and they, they want to see this because it is incredible. Matter of fact, they did a restoration project and it cost millions of dollars for them to try and unlean it and keep it from completely going over because it would have uh, with the foundation it had and the lean that it had, uh, it, it would have gone completely over. So they did this millions of dollars of construction project to restore the foundation and uh, still leans to this day. Uh, I think they, I don't know if they included that and, and, and wanted it to continue to lean. I don't know. But uh, I do know it was uh, quite an incredible thing to restore that uh, foundation. And millions of people travel to see that. But every single day, you and I come across people's, uh, people whose foundation is not there. They have no foundation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, if, if we were to take the New Testament application of Jesus, uh, hey, they have built their life on the sand. You know the old Sunday school song, uh, the foolish man built his life upon the sand, and then the rains come and wash all the sand away in that foundation, and their building crumbles down. Listen, we need to build our lives on the foundation, on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. But we know, you know, I know people every single day that we would go by that do not have their life founded on the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're, consequently, uh, their life is, is eventually doomed to demise short of their foundation becoming established on the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we think about this passage and the foundation and the importance of a foundation, look with me at verse number 10. He gives three ways that we can have a knowledge of God and that foundation. He says in verse number 10, Paul says, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. And the foundation of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ uh, is to know him as he starts off in that verse, that we may know him. Did you know you can know facts about somebody but not know them? You know the greatest illustration that we can give, uh, at least in 2021, I think, is, is sports figures... And, and the stats that a lot of people know about them. Now, I don't know a lot about sports. I enjoy watching a good game of baseball and a good game of football. And I enjoy watching, everyone's going to die. I, I love watching a good game of soccer. 
And I know you're like, man, soccer, that puts me to sleep. Uh, you know, if you've, if you've played something, you appreciate it so much more. Uh, you know, I, I used to wonder, how on earth can people watch golf? I mean, they hit the ball. It's not, not exciting. But I tell you what, if you ever went golfing and you tried to hit that ball and get it straight and put it where you wanted it, uh, some 200 yards down the road, you'd probably have a better appreciation for those guys that are out there golfing. And you'd probably watch it and say, man, that guy, that, wow, that was an incredible hit. I watch it and I say, yawn, man, this is going to be a long game. We're only on hall one. And, and so, um, you know, you can know a lot about the sports and you can know a lot about those guys and a lot of people know uh, boy, they can tell you uh, this player, they can tell you his number, they can tell you his batting average if it's baseball, they can tell you how many home runs he's hit, they can tell you how many RBIs runs batted in he's had, they can tell you uh, his stats and all of his position and how well he plays. Uh, and, and, you know, you can know a lot of stats about somebody without knowing that person. And, and, and recently... Uh, maybe not recently, maybe in the past 10 years, uh, the world has kind of been astounded at at many times football players. They have stats, and you think, well, based on their stats, man, that's a really good guy. But then all of a sudden, personal lives have been exposed in the news, and you find out that guy's not a very good guy. Matter of fact, that guy's a, a real problem. He's kind of a menace to society in reality. And you realize, wow, when you get to know somebody, listen, You can read your Bible, and you ought to read your Bible. You can learn a whole lot about stats about the Lord Jesus Christ, and you can find out what cities he walked through and how many miracles. You could even memorize all those stats, and you could quote those stats, and you could tell me all kinds of information about the Lord Jesus Christ that maybe I don't even know. But I don't want to know if you know his stats. I want to know, do you personally know the Lord Jesus Christ? I don't want to know his stats. I want you to know him. I want you to know who he is. I want you to know the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. Religion oftentimes teaches you about God, and and it's good to be in church, and you ought to be in church. There's nothing wrong with being church. But listen, if, if all it does is coming to church just teaches you stats about the Bible and about God and about his life, and you're not personally enriching your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, then there's a problem at the foundation. We need to get that fixed. We need to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Do you know the sense of his conviction? Do you know when he is burdening your heart to spend more time with him? Do you know the prompting of the Holy Spirit to share the gospel with someone? Do you know as you go throughout your life uh, when uh, when he, he is convicting you about something and saying, listen, what you're doing is not right and you need to stop. You need to get it right. That's a, that's a personal knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a relationship with him. That is, that is more than just being able to tell me uh, information about God. That is actually walking with God on a daily basis. That's so important. In our life, that is the foundation. Paul here in this passage, he says that I may know him. We need to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to know who he is. We need to know what 
uh, what, what pleases him and, and what saddens him. Uh, and obviously the Bible says um, that we can quench uh, the, the Holy Spirit in our life and we can, uh, we, can, we can please the Holy Spirit in our life and God in our life by doing what is right. And we need to make sure that we are living uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. F.B. Meyer uh, says this, he said, we may know him personally, intimately, face to face. Christ does not live back in the centuries, nor amid the clouds of heaven. He is near us, with us, compassing our path in our lying down and acquainted with all our ways. But we cannot know him in this mortal life except through the illumination and teaching of the Holy Spirit. And we must surely know Christ not as a stranger who turns in to visit for the night or as an exalted king of men. There must be the inner knowledge as of those whom he counts his own familiar friends, whom he trusts with his secrets, who eat with him of his own bread." We need to have that kind of relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's um, cliche perhaps, and in most of the movies, you know, they have the little good angel and the little bad angel on either, on either shoulder. But in reality, I don't want you to picture an angel. I want you to understand and realize that the Lord Jesus Christ goes with you every single day. And we need to be sensitive and understanding to the fact that Jesus is with us every single place that we go. What if we were sensitive to everything that he said? What if we were sensitive every day that, hey, God is with me, and God wants to be with me, and God wants to have a relationship with me, and he is interested in what I'm doing on Monday morning at 9 o'clock, and he is interested in what I'm doing Monday afternoon at 2 o'clock, and he is interested in what I'm doing uh, on Tuesday all day long and on Wednesday and on Thursday and on Friday and on Saturday. And God is with us and we need to have the, the conscientiousness that God is always with us and he desires to be part of our life. And not just be something that, well, it's Sunday, I guess we're going to go talk with God today and then we'll put him back in his box and we won't talk to him until, uh, until next Sunday. No, he wants to be a part of our life every single day and we need to be conscientious Paul said that I may know him Jesus said it this way in John chapter 10 and verse number 14 he said I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine in other words you know sheep they kind of get attached to a shepherd and they'll, they'll learn to follow that shepherd. And Jesus said it this way in, in John chapter 10 as well. He said, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. In other words, they hear, they become familiar with the voice of the shepherd. And they know that the shepherd is calling them. And, and they will follow that voice. You know, when you get a, a new shepherd would come in and, and try and take over a flock, uh, that, that sheep, they'd be skittish of that voice. They don't know that voice. They're not going to follow that voice. And so that shepherd would have to spend time with them. Listen, as you spend time with the Lord Jesus Christ, let it be a familiar voice to you on a daily basis. Let it be something that is regular, that you would hear the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about an audible voice, but listen, in your heart, you ought to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. You ought to, be, uh, you ought to know who your shepherd is and follow the shepherd in your life. 
Paul says that I may know him. We ought to know the Lord Jesus Christ like Paul knew the Lord Jesus Christ. I like that quote from F.B. Meyer that, listen, sometimes we relegate, well, Jesus lived, you know, almost 2,000 years ago. And sometimes we think, well, Jesus is not here now. No, he is here, and he's with you, and he is a real person, and he goes with you every single day, and we need to recognize and realize that in our life, that we can know him as Paul knew him. Not only that, but the Bible goes on, and it says in verse number 10, and the power of his resurrection. We just celebrated that a couple weeks ago as far as uh, Easter Sunday goes and the power of his resurrection. It's something that we celebrate on a yearly basis because, uh, listen, it, it, it kind of cracks me up because we think about Easter and, and many, many people celebrate the death of Jesus. Listen, as Christians, we're glad, if I could say it that way, that Jesus died on the cross of Calvary. But you know where our celebration is? Not in his death but in his resurrection. Because that proved the power of God over death, hell, and the grave. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 talks about. Hey, that he had victory over that death and over the hell and over the grave. And that he did rise again from the dead. What an incredible, true account of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, listen, not only do I want to know him, but I want to know the power of his resurrection in my life. What an incredible statement. We can read about the incredible power of God throughout the entire Bible. Listen, as you read through the Bible, and I, I do encourage you, read through the Bible. Uh, take time to read through it. Reading through the Bible will help you get to know God uh, better if you pay attention to what you're reading. Now, sometimes, uh, I confess, I'm there. Uh, sometimes I read my Bible, and it's like, man, I, I get done, and I'm like, did I pay I, I have I struggle to pay attention sometimes. I'm like, did... I don't even, I couldn't tell you one thing that I just read. So you have to pay attention when you read. You got to be conscientious. You got to be focused. You got to be saying, hey, Lord, speak to my heart. Help me get something. Help me understand everything that I'm reading and, and understand and speak to my heart while I'm reading the word of God. We got to be paying attention. But listen, as you read through the word of God, you will see amazing things. Uh, and you can read about all the Old Testament miracles that God did. Listen, just reading through the the. the uh, account of creation, man, is incredible. The fact that God created everything that, that exists, wrap your head around that. That, that just amazes me. Uh, I, I could read through that. I have read through that uh, many, many times, and I, I'll read through it again, and, and I'll be like, man, that is just incredible. The fact that God spoke the world into existence and the fact that God... Um, created man. Do you know that he made us out of the dust of the earth? I don't know how it happened. I, I kind of imagine God kind of scraping the dirt together and making the form of a man. And then the Bible says, maybe he spoke it. Who knows? I mean, he could have done that and the dirt would have just all formed and he wouldn't even had to touch it. And then the Bible says that he breathed into man, into the nostrils of man, the breath of life. And man became a living soul. What an incredible, incredible count. Man thinks we are so wise with science and so advanced in our society. And, and there are a lot of advancements that we have made. I don't mean to negate those. But let me tell you something. They don't come anywhere near to God's creation. Nowhere near it. 
Because man can only mimic the power that God has put on display. There's nowhere, we, we do not even come close to scratching the surface uh, of, of the power of God. Um, and, and so we need to understand, hey, that we can know his power. As you read over all the miracles, I got off on creation, as you read all the miracles of the Old Testament, listen, there are, there's wonderful miracles. Some of my favorite, my favorite of all time miracles, I've said this before, uh, is Exodus chapter number, I think it's 13 or 14, when, uh, when the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea and God opens up the Red Sea and they walked across on dry ground. Man, I can read that over and over and over again. And I'm just like, that is incredible. I really, really want to see that. And I hope they got it archived on, in heaven on DVD or, or uh, whatever they have there. Uh, I, I would love to see that because it's incredible. But then there's lots of miracles throughout the Old Testament. I mean, uh, there's Elijah and Elisha, and then there's the burning bush. And then there's the things uh, that, that many miracles have been done in the Old Testament. But listen, just like knowing a player's stats, you can read and go through all the powerful miracles, even of Jesus when he walked on this earth and he raised the dead and he healed the lame and he made the blind to see and the deaf to hear and, and he calmed the storms while he was on the boat. Listen, you can read all about those and you can, you can quote and tell me every story and every miracle that God has done. But listen, if you don't experience it in your own life, you're missing out. You know the, the power that exists but you don't know it on a personal level and, and and listen that is so important turn with me save your spot here in philippians but turn with me to romans chapter number five and we'll not spend much time here romans chapter number five we're talking about knowing the very power of god look at what he says here in these few verses he says in romans chapter number five and verse number one romans five one this is an incredible passage, and I love this, this verse. We'll get down to one verse, but for sake of context, to understand it all, Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. He says, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulations worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Now, verse number three starts to talk about tribulation, and everyone checks out. They say, man, I don't want that. And, and I, I'm with you. I don't want tribulations in my life either. Nobody wants tribulations. That would be problems or difficulties in our life. Uh, but, but he says, listen, when you run into those tribulations, understand when you run into those problems, they teach you patience in your life. That's why uh, we always say, don't pray for patience. Because God will send you problems, and that's how you learn patience. And nobody likes problems, and, uh, and we're often an impatient people. Uh, but, but we find here that tribulations cause patience. But then what he says in verse number 4, and patience experience, and experience hope. In other words, 
when something happens and it becomes personal in your life, you can say, it's no longer about Moses. It's no longer about the three Hebrew children who were thrown into the fire. It's no longer about Daniel that was thrown into the lion's den. It's no longer about the nation of Israel that was crossing the Red Sea. It now is about my life and how God has provided for me. It's an experience that we have in our life. I remember when I went off to Bible college and I had graduated from high school and went straight to Bible college and you know, Bible college is a good experience. Just kind of getting out on your own is a good experience. And I remember I went out, and, and I, as I came to Bible college, and, and I was going through Bible college, and, and it wasn't long before all of a sudden a, a, I got mail. You know, when, when you're a kid and you're living at home and you get mail, you get excited. Woo! It's a birthday card. It's money. It's something good. When you become an adult and you get mail, and you don't go woo anymore. You're like, oh, my. You know, let's not even open that. Let's set that right there, and let's just give it three days before we open that thing. Why? Because you open that thing up, and you know what it is? It's a bill, and you owe money. And when I went to Bible college, you know what happened? I got a bill in the mail, and you know what? It did not have my dad's ad name on it. It had Shane Rice written right at the top. You owe this much money. I'm like, great. This is a problem. Bills started arriving in my name. And you know what? I was responsible. You know what that was? That was experience in life that taught me, well, I need to get a job and I need to have money and I need to set aside money so that I can pay these bills. So when they arrive in my name, I can take and pay off these bills that are now coming in my name. Listen, in the, in the Christian life, the experience that you get with God is God saying, listen, child, I will take care of you, but I need you to depend upon me. We've spent our whole life living our life in our own independence without God's help. And sometimes God has to bring us into problems that are larger than ourselves, so that we have a bill, if you will, in our name that is more than what our bank account can write a check for. And God says, I've got your back. I'm here to help you. You need to trust me. You need to depend upon me. You need to uh, allow me to take care of these things in ways that you will not be able to and you will not be able to understand sometimes, but you will understand this, that I will help you. That's experience of the Christian life. Listen, that is the power of God working in your life. You need to have experience with God in your own personal life and not just talk about Moses. I mean, great! it's great to talk about Moses and the power of God in his life. It's wonderful to talk about the disciples and the power of God in their life. It's wonderful to talk about all of those things. But listen, you personally need to experience the power of God in your life. I'm not talking about wild, crazy things. I'm talking about on a daily basis, God. Help me to be a witness. God, help me to overcome this problem in my life. God, help me to, uh, to take care of this situation. God, help me to be a better Christian. God, help me to walk with you. God, help me to be a testimony and a witness to those around me. God, help me in my life on a daily basis. And you know what? God will help you. That's the experience that this verse is talking about. And patience, experience, and experience, hope. Because when you've watched God work in your life, you say, man, I know God did it for me back then. 
We're not talking about other people. We're not talking about uh, the, the accounts that are written in the Bible that are, are very believable and they're very helpful. They're, there's no doubt about that. There's a place for them, but we need to experience it in our own life. And Paul said, listen, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. We need to know the power of his resurrection in our life to overcome sin and, and to overcome uh, difficulty in our life. Then lastly, Philippians 3, verse number 10, he says this, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Fellowship is communion, and I would remind you that Paul wrote these words from prison, and I'm sure that there were dark and lonely times for Paul as he sat in prison uh, while he was even penning these words. And he said, listen, I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. In other words, that I would have such a fellowship with God that I would trust in him in all things. I got this last illustration and we'll stop here. It, it's this, in the early 1400s, John Huss was a Catholic priest appointed by, in Prague, 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 I'm not sure how to say that, at the Bethlehem Chapel, actually it depends on what language you're speaking as to how you pronounce it. Uh, through the preaching of John Wycliffe, however, Huss began to see the heir of the Catholic Church. In preaching salvation by works, Huss began to boldly preach the truth of salvation by grace alone to his congregation. This gained the attention of his people, drawing crowds and resulting in many people being saved. Meanwhile, the Pope promised forgiveness of sins to all who supported his leadership. Huss did not cower from clearly pointing out the fallacy of the Pope's declaration, for only Jesus Christ can offer remission of sins. This caused great suffering for John Huss. He was burned at the stake because of his refusal to comply to the Catholic Church's teaching. As the wood was lit and the flames licked his body, Huss cried out, what I taught with my lips, I now seal with my blood. Lord, I commend my spirit to you. Fellowship of his sufferings. Being willing to pay a price. Saying, God, I want to walk so closely with you that I can always trust you. And even if I suffer, it, listen, it won't be to the extent extent that Jesus Christ suffered on the cross of Calvary for sins he did not commit, paid our salvation, will never suffer as much as he did. Fellowship, to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Do you know him this morning? Do you know his power? Do you have a fellowship with him to know the fellowship, the communion walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. As we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to encourage you to know him. Not just know about him. Not just know about his power. Not just know about the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ, but to personally know him and his power. God, I pray that you'd speak to hearts as only you can. Help us, God, to know you. God, not just to live a life, a religious life, a moral life, a good life, but God, to really 
know you. I pray that you challenge each and every heart. May we look at our foundation. God, may we be challenged to fortify our lives in you. I pray that you'd speak to each and every heart as only you can. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we just have a short hymn of invitation, if God's spoken to your heart this morning, there's an opportunity to respond. Ask God to help you. I was reminded of the verse this morning that says, we have not because we ask not. And I'm reminded of that in my life lots. We need to ask of God. Ask Him to know Him better. Ask Him for the power to overcome sin and overcome problems and overcome difficulties in your life. Ask Him. He's willing to help. said that I may know him the power of his resurrection fellowship of his sufferings what a powerful verse